Another day Another dollar Makes you wonder where your money went You can scream Hi folks, this is Jack Spierka with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world and changing times, the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Dictated is almost always the case during my 50-mile commute between Arlington and Frisco, Texas. And I was in a great mood today, and now I'm not in so great a mood. Uh, There's plenty of ass clowns on the highway already today, and uh, I'm going to give myself Honorary Ass Clown Award. I, I actually I'm restarting today's show completely from the ground up uh, because as I got into it, the first take, uh, the hazards of mobile podcasting and having left, there's nothing I can do about it. I left my show notes at home. And today's show was going to be on equipping your vehicle as a bug-out vehicle and for emergencies. And the show notes for that are just too long. There's too much. There's too many things. There's too many things that I'll leave out. Uh, I can't do that show without the notes. So I am going to do a show on survival mind, the survival mind, how to think like a modern survivalist. Not so much the philosophy, but the way to think, evaluate, and why we do the things that we do. Uh, Because I can do that without any show notes, because that's how I live every day. Um, Before that, though, we're going to have to go ahead and do our housekeeping. Uh, Number one, make sure you're supporting our advertising. Our advertisers of the day-to-day are first, MURS-radio.com or MERS-radio.com. They are a great reseller of some really good equipment. They're going to be adding some inexpensive ham gear soon in addition to the MERS equipment. The big thing about these guys, folks, are the level of support they'll give you. If you call them up, they'll talk to you. They'll help you out. They'll tell you what you need. They'll tell you, honestly, the limitations of the MERS system, uh, what it can do for you, what it can't do for you and how to keep yourself out of any regulatory trouble by not doing something that I advised you to do in the past uh, with, with MERS, which you're not supposed to do. Uh, next is Directive21.com, resellers of the awesome Berkey Light water filter systems. Uh, folks, you know, what more do I need to say other than water and you need it, right? We all understand that you cannot survive without water. So those are our two sponsors of the day. Uh, next, call out, join our forum. Please get involved with our forum. Um, I, I tell you, you'll make some really good friends. There's a lot of little regional events starting to pick up. People are doing meetup groups and everything. It's really cool, but it all starts at the forum. Uh, last but not least, if you think this show's worth more than 20 cents an episode, maybe if you think it's pretty badass that I'm going to do a show that I didn't even have planned until two seconds ago, and I'm going to make sure you have a show today anyway. Uh, maybe that's worth two dimes. If so, consider joining the Member Support Brigade. You'll get exclusive content available only to members, um, including some really cool videos I put together no one's ever seen unless they're an MSB member. Uh, and you'll get about $70 worth of free retail value as well. Sorry if I'm a little off, folks. It sucks not having my notes. Uh, next, I would really want to real quick just mention Region 6 uh, having their get-together this weekend. Shannon's probably out there setting up right now. Uh, I want to throw a shout-out to Brunel's Springfield Armory and CC Military Surplus. Uh, and there's another 
Shirt, a uh, little gun shop that stepped up and sponsored the event. Sorry I won't mention you today. I'll make sure you get mentions next week. I appreciate the sponsorship, but it's just on my show notes. Can't remember the name of the company, folks. So, uh, But Region 6 is a cool thing that Shannon's done. He's put a lot of work into it. If you think about the fact that people like Brunel's and Springfield Armory are sponsoring it, that tells you he's gone and put a, you know, just a top-notch event together over a weekend. Uh, I didn't even ask him to do it, folks. He did this all on his own. That's what TSP is all about, is people getting active and bringing friends together and learning and new skills and new ideas and new thoughts. So, with that, let's go ahead and uh, just ramp right into the show that uh, wasn't planned. So, the survival mind. What do I mean when I say the survival mind? In a lot of ways, I'm talking about the very thing that makes you look like you're weird to people around you or when you talk to people and you try to tell them about threats and prepping and the things that you do and maybe explain that the garden is just a little bit more than a garden or you talk to them and say, hey, you know, I have a backup generator and they say, that seems a bit extreme. All the reactions that you get from people that are like, wow, that's not quite right. Those are people that do not have a survival mindset. And uh, what I want you to understand, though, about your fellow man is everybody has a survival mind. It's, it's innate. It's built into us. It was something that was built into us by the intelligent design of our creator. Whatever that means to you, let it go there. I'm not a religious show. But I do believe there's an intelligence that assembles the, the universe as we know it. And that was built into us as part of who and what we are. Okay, How it got there is really not as important as the fact of a Acknowledging that it is there. And what I mean by that is you could take the most non-survival-minded individual in the world and if he's standing in a road and I'm in my Jetta TDI and I'm heading straight at him at 70 miles an hour right now and he sees my car approaching and he realizes I am not going to veer off, I'm going to run him flat over, he'll get out of the way. So where the survival mind comes from is what level of threat do you need to see for it to kick in? For some people, it's two seconds before the car runs them over because they can't believe that some jerk would actually run them over in a little German Volkswagen car. Okay. For a lot of people, it would be, I'm not standing out in the freaking street in the first place because sooner or later I could get hit anyway. Generally speaking, preppers, self-sufficiency advocates, uh, modern survivalists, whatever you want to call yourself, are the second kind. They are the people, we don't stand in the street in the first place. If we go into the street, there's a clear reason. We look both ways before we enter it. We get on it, we get off it, and we're done. And, and you think that something that basic would be something everybody does? Folks, I'm telling you, I've been with people, and my wife's one of them. You'll go to a town or a city and you're walking around and, you know, light changes so you can walk across the road. They don't have any urgency in their step. You know, and I'm with them and I've got my hand on the small of the back and we're moving. We're getting across because it's a four-lane road and these people don't stop for you. A lot of people just don't have that sense on their at their surface. It is there. That's what's important. So if you're sharing with people, a lot of times the way to get them to at least acknowledge that there is danger out there 
is to figure out exactly what it is that kicks it in for them. And some people are a lost cause. These are the ostriches. All right? They're not even the sheeple. They're the ostriches. They're the people they just... And a lot of them are people that they know, but they just can't bear to think about it. You know, they have that cancer syndrome that I talked about this week. Sure, people get cancer, but not me. It'll never happen to me. And a lot of them are people that grew up in, in, in really kind of nice areas, and they always had the silver spoon in their mouth and, and things like that. But you know what? A lot of them came from the sticks. A lot of them know the old ways. A lot of them grew up the way that I did, or maybe you did if you grew up that way. And, and part of it is they don't want to go back to that. They look at that as like a lot of people that have become very successful are ashamed of those blue-collar roots. Many a coal miner's son isn't like me. They're not proud to be a coal miner's son. You know, they're, they're ashamed that they're a coal miner. I don't understand that. I don't get it. But that also helps bury that survival mindset in people, to push it down. Because, it, because they were taught to save for that rainy day, to be thrifty, to be frugal, to think, to learn how to think. Because they were taught these things. And because they moved into a, a class of society that kind of looks their, down their noses at people that fix their own car, for God's sakes. You know, or cut their own, you cut your own grass. I had a guy recently ask me, Just cut your own grass? I said, I, I live on a third of an acre. I have a pool and a garden. My front yard had a big tree and it wasn't really much grass to cut. I'm cutting maybe a tenth of an acre or twelfth of an acre of grass. It takes 40 minutes. I'm going to pace. And you know, he couldn't get his head around the fact that I cut my own grass. That person is going to have a hard time developing a survival mindset. And it's why you get the odd looks or the odd thoughts. It's why you have the reluctant spouse. And then it gets coupled with another thing that I should really look more into and learn more about from a psychological standpoint uh, that was brought to my attention by one of our foreign members uh, called Swanson. And um, it's called normalcy bias. And this is why people will even sit in situations where you know the water's rising or the fire's getting closer and just act like nothing's wrong. Even when the emergency's imminent, they might just sit there. They might stand in that road till that car runs them over. And it's just they won't let go of things being what they consider normal. Now, I think the other thing about this normalcy thing, though, is the person with the survival mindset that's brought it to the surface, that understands that there's threats everywhere, and that doesn't mean we live in fear, but it means we acknowledge the threat, we prepare for the threat, we're ready for the threat, and we'll take the steps that we can that make sense to mitigate the threat, and then some threat's fine, we'll just live with it. In other words, I'll get in my car and drive to work every day, even though I know I could get hit by a 10-wheeler gravel hauler and be dead, despite the fact that I'm in a safe car with my seatbelt on. It may not matter. An idiot like the ass hat that just flew by me, I'm doing 80. He must have been doing 111 miles an hour. 11? I don't know, folks. Okay, I'm making that up. But well over 100 miles an hour. And now he's up a guy's butt. That guy could cause the, 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 the giant... Uh, gas truck ahead of him to get in a wreck, I could run into it and I could die. I accept the fact that there's some things beyond my control, but I'll wear my seatbelt and drive a safe automobile. Right? And a lot of people without survival mindset put that seatbelt on. Okay? Or they look at safety ratings when they buy a car. But why? Because the government says so. 
Because the TV says so. Because there's a law that says they're supposed to do it. So they're conformist to society. And what I was on track with before I got, you know, had to deal with that asshat, um, was that that normalcy to them, it, it, it adapts and it changes. Whatever society says is normal remains their normal. So tomorrow, if a widespread Madison Avenue campaign came out, promoted by the government that said everybody should drive a light-colored vehicle because it's going to help global warming, which is nonsensical, but we just, that was, and it was pushed, and it was pushed every day, and celebrities got light-colored vehicles. You would see most of these people that drive dark blue or black or red vehicles switch to, to whites, beiges, tans, and silvers. Sooner or later, they might, they might even rebel against it on day one. But two to three years later, that's what you would see everywhere. Because that would then become normal. And you driving a black car all of a sudden would make you stand out. And you think that can't happen, but it can. Now, to those with a survival mindset, that's what's not normal. The way When we look around and we look at society and we see the way people operate, we're the ones standing back going, no, you think that we're weird. You, you people are nuts. We look at a downtown metropolitan area with a skyscraper building full of condominiums, and that one building, 5,000 families live in that one building that's not even a full square block of a city. 5,000 people live in that building. And we look at that and we go, that's not sustainable. That doesn't make sense. And if something goes wrong, those people are in an extreme sense of risk. They have no place to store anything. They have limited resources. There's so many people in there. If the shit hits the fan, they're going to tear each other apart. It's just not comfortable. That's how most survival-minded individuals look at that building with 5,000 families. That means there might be up to 15,000 people in that one building. We look at some of these buildings that they're building over in Asia where 100,000 people, folks, may live in one building. To us, that's weird. That's not normal. And the reason is it goes against the basic innate things that were put into your soul by creation itself. Again, however you define that, I don't want to go there. But there is something that's planted in the human body, the human mind, the human psyche, the ego, the sub, at all levels. It's there. It's why you get out of the way of the speeding car. It's the same thing that causes you, you're walking down the street into an area maybe you've been to, maybe you've never been to, but there's no real reason to be afraid, to be nervous, to be concerned. And you stop, and you get a strange feeling in the pit of your stomach, the hackles on the back of your neck come up a little bit, and you get a thought. It's move quicker, be more confident, be ready, turn around and go back, but there's some thought. Victims of crimes talk about this all the time. I knew something was wrong, but I did it anyway. Okay? The survival-minded individual, when they get that warning, they go, the worst thing that's going to happen if I go back is it's going to take me longer to get there through another route or whatever. But I'm trusting my gut. This normalcy bias, right? This, 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 in, in, and it's part of it's not even just a normalcy bias. Part of it is a desire to fit in, a fear of nonconformity. This is what causes the eventual victim to go, ah, I just need to keep going. Ah, don't worry about it. Yeah, I'm not going to grip my purse a little bit tighter for you women, right? 
Uh, it's okay. I can trust this guy. He's got a nice smile. I've heard that one from victims a lot of times. But he had such a nice smile. He seemed so nice. And then he kidnapped them, or beat them, or raped them, right? Or tried to, and they escaped. But they trusted when they knew they shouldn't trust. They knew it was wrong. So where does that fit in when we start talking about the practical things that we do as a modern survivalist that make us kind of the outcasts of society for a lot of people? They might even do the same thing, but as soon as they know our motivation... Then they're like, yeah, you're a little bit of a strange bird, right? So you might have a neighbor plants a beautiful vegetable garden, but to them it's a hobby. They see your beautiful vegetable garden. If you start to talk and you get comfortable with each other, you might eventually state, hey, you know, isn't it great that if something happens to the food supply, we'll still be eating pretty good. And they might immediately come away from you. That's what causes that. The person that, you know, comes to your house... You're sitting around watching TV, hanging out, maybe having a beer, you know, have a play date with your kids, whatever reason they're there. And eventually they, uh, for one reason or another, notice that your pantry is completely full. And uh, even though it's full, you went to get something out of it, and nothing was there. The, the thing, the item that you, you wanted from your pantry is not there. So you go upstairs or downstairs or wherever, and you come back with a replacement item that you didn't, you know, fill the back fill the pantry with yet, because you go to your stores and you get it, and you're practicing store where you eat and eat where you store. Well, at first, that person thinks, well, that was cool. We don't have to go to the store for a jar of peanut butter. We can make the kids peanut butter sandwiches. But then they'll always ask the question, where'd you get that? I mean, you got all that stuff in there. Where, where, where was that? I was down in my basement with my food storage. Your food storage? Well, yeah, I keep extra food on hand. At that point, they're probably still okay with it. Then what happens? They say, well, how much food do you got down there? And you go, if you want to be honest and open with me, you say, I don't know, we could probably be 90 days worth of food down there. You know, if you're willing to share that. That person, a lot of times at that point, will do the step back. And they know what it is. It's like, it's almost like for them, looking at the casket you're going to be buried in. To start to think of a society where that is necessary, and to start to think about how that's going to affect the people you love and care for, how it's going to affect you. And a lot of these people, folks, they've they've led the plastic lifestyle. And I mean it in two ways. They've led a life paid for with a plastic card, but they've also led a life that's a lot of ways fake and phony. It's not authentic. Most people in American society and in modern society throughout the world today are no longer authentic human beings. They have an image that they they show to their neighbors, to their workplace, to the world, and that image even comes into their own family, into their own household, and sometimes they're projecting that image. In fact, they're often projecting that image even when they're alone. Finally take a walk by themselves and are still projecting that image. Someone might see me. After 20 years, 30 years of adulthood, living that way, that image is no longer an image. It, it becomes yourself. Now, it's not your true self. The underlying human is always there. But you become so attached to it that it becomes comforting. Almost like a little kid with a blanket. And then, into that plastic world, into that sham, into that place where their their soul knows, I'm not real. 
I'm living a fake life. But it's being justified by the ends. I'm working hard for my retirement. I will be normal then. I will be able to do what I want then. I'll be authentic then. They don't articulate it that way, but that's what they're thinking. I have to do this now. I have to play the strict disciplinarian now so that the kid will grow up right. Uh, I have to do whatever it is that I feel is my sense of obligation to a spouse or a child or to another member of society or to a social organization or whatever. I have to be this now because now it's required instead of being who they are. They go through a whole life with that. Then you come in, and with something as simple as a stack of food in your basement, or your attic, or a, a spare room, or a shed, or whatever, just that little pile of food, and what happens in a millisecond in their head is, this guy's nuts, but what if he's right? Okay, takes less time to happen than it does for me to say this. He says, what, is it? what if he's right? What could cause this image in their mind of you know food being dropped in Africa or some riots in the streets or something like that from TV? Chill down the back. Can't think about that. It's too horrible. Bury it. What do I bury it with? Bias or by distancing myself from the situation or by saying, oh, this is kind of strange. I think you're a little weird. It's too horrible to think about. That's what does it, folks. So where's the balance point? Where's this hinge point where you can go into this semi-dark world but still be a very positive, optimistic person? You know, what I've learned is the most optimistic, happy people in the world are self-sufficient preppers. The more they become self-sufficient, the more that they're prepared, the better they could stand the worst things in society, the happier and more outgoing and more risk-taking they are. Preppers take risks that, that these normal people would never take. Preppers are the guys that jump off of cliffs into water because it's fun. Or go parachuting. Or drive motorcycles really fast. Or do off-roading in places that are like crazy dangerous. There's no road. There's a, lo- a pile of boulders. And they've actually figured out how to get a jeep to crawl those boulders and get through that pass. They do it every day. Why are these people willing to risk? And these other people are afraid to even look at the risks that are around them. Because you become comfortable with risk when you understand it. When you learn how to mitigate it. You realize the risk is always there. And then you decide what level of risk am I comfortable with in what situation for what gain. And you realize that jumping out of an airplane with a parachute is probably safer than driving down any major highway in America. So I get a huge gain from the adrenaline rush from that. And I get less risk than doing something mundane and boring that I hate like driving in a car. But we're the oddballs. Uh, and the, why am I talking about this today? And, and, you know, other than I lost my show notes and, and don't have them in the car. I was going to do this show eventually anyway. Because I want you to understand the ostriches. I want you to understand the sheep. Because it's important that we understand them. That we don't just relegate them to the side. That we slowly, over time, convert all those idiot grasshoppers into at least some semblance of an ant. Do we start telling the old fables again without changing them to make them politically correct? We stop telling our kids, hey, you know what? The grasshopper played all summer and he was a jerk-off. 
And he didn't do what he was supposed to do. And the ant told him time and time again to take the opportunity to prepare. And he didn't. And then the snow came. And then the grasshopper, he was he was cold and he was hungry and he was starving. And he knocked on the ant's door and he said, Mr. Ant, please help me. And the ant said, I'll help you this time, grasshopper, but you better learn next time. And he brings him in and he takes care of him. We stopped, we stopped telling that nonsensical story. It's not true. It's not true in the original fable, and it's certainly not true in nature. In the original fable, the ant sends the grasshopper pack and says, Hey, buddy, I told you, you're on your own, get going, and the grasshopper dies. In nature, as fall approaches and the grasshopper's food wanes, and it's cold, and the grasshopper is close to death, if he crawls near an ant pile, do you know what happens? The ants in that pile maul him, kill him, chop him up into little pieces, take him down into their home and use him as part of their preps. There's a harsh reality in that story. And I'm not suggesting that the sheep go to the slaughter, but some of them will. And they'll kill each other. That's the big thing. It won't be the prepper community that goes out pillaging and stealing. The prepper community, if we have a really bad situation, will do all it can to help. I firmly believe that. Within reason. In other words, I will help you as best I can, but my family comes first. But the sheep and the ostriches, faced with being forced to come out of that plastic cocoon that they've been in for their entire lives, will turn on each other. They'll freak out. My dad used to put it this way. They ever shut the lights off, half of these people will lay down and die. About 10 to 20 percent of us will get the hell out of the way because we know what to do. And the other 30 percent will tear each other apart. And they're the dangerous ones. I never understood how wise those words were until I grew up, got out into the world, went to sleep and woke back up. It took that for me to understand what my father was saying. I was a pretty young man the first time I heard him say that. I thought the old man was kind of nuts. But you know what? He was right. And it all comes down to this. So how do you increase your survival mindset? Well, you do it in a variety of ways. You do it by education and a complete and total lack of fear. Don't be afraid to learn anything, to read anything, to discover anything. But at the same time, don't convince yourself it's going to happen now. And don't believe these people that are out there you know, throwing dates around. On this date, this is going to happen. Those are, that's usually the first mark of somebody that doesn't know what the hell they're talking about is trying to sell a story or sound important or has a mental illness. Right now, over on our buddy Alex Jones' site, and again, folks, I love Alex. 80% to 90% of the time. And then the 10%, woo, out there, right? Well, one of the out there's right now is that um, in October, they're going to start doing these uh, vaccinations, and the military is going to get involved, law enforcement is going to get involved, and they're all going to stick a bracelet on you after you get your uh, your flu shot. Okay? All right. Now, Blair Race is going to have an RFID chip, and you'll be able to, you know, go through a checkpoint and they'll scan it, beep, like you're a, you know, commodity, like you're a tomato on a, on a, uh, we call it a cash register or something, and that'll say, yeah, this guy's got his flu shot. And if you refuse the flu shot, you don't get a bracelet. Well, if you get to a checkpoint, they're going to stop you. You're going to have two choices: take the shot now, or get on a bus and go to an internment camp. This is all going to start in October. So when we're in November. <laughs> 
right? When it's November 15th, and nobody's been strung up or held down and given a shot against their will, when none of this has happened, when not one person's rocking around with a bracelet with an RFID chip in it, when none of this happens, what will they say? Oh, we got wind of it and we stopped it? Come on. Right? If these people were uh, doing the things that, that these other people tell us they were, they wouldn't be stopped just because they said something about it. They would do it anyway. So do I think that kind of stuff's going to happen? No, but, but I'll tell you what. There's nothing wrong with paying attention to what people out there in that foil hat world are saying from time to time because a lot of times you'll find some truth in it. You know, um, I don't think it's a mistake to learn all you can about everything, even the stuff that you think is crazy. Because remember, somebody thinks what you believe is crazy. And a lot of these people that are out there, I mean, way out there with this uh, New World Order conspiracy theories and and everything else, the one thing that, that makes them very useful to the rest of society is they dig and they dig and they dig and they dig. And even a blind squirrel will find an acorn once in a while. And a lot of times these guys break things that everybody goes, ah, oh, they're just nuts again. And then eventually people go, you know what? They're right. And then they'll always take it and go to the next level with it. But they still brought that value. So don't be afraid to get your information from as many sources as possible. But then do sanity checks against things. You know, does this make sense? It's part of a survival mindset. I get I cannot tell you how many emails I get every day about this flu vaccine. I can't tell you how many I know I'm going to get today for talking about this. Probably a hundred telling me how I'm wrong and the death camps are being set up right now and everything else. Alright? The sanity check to this is, if you were the government and you really wanted to poison people with a vaccine, would you A, force people to do it, which you know inherently in America will result in revolt, bloodshed in the streets, violent revolution, and a complete overthrow of your government that you, you so need to make maintain control, because that Americans won't stand for that. Not yet, anyway. Or, would you create the illusion of a shortage, hype the disease, and make people kill each other, and demand that you give them the vaccine, and demand that you let them to the front of the line? Which one would you do? A or B? Well, you'd do B. So, the conspiracy theory, A, doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense because it just doesn't make sense. But logistically, even if they're right, it doesn't make sense. It's not the best course of action. So, part of the survival mindset is being able to get all these crazy sources of information and then say, wait a minute, let's put a sanity check on this. Do these things make sense? But not being afraid to look, to investigate. To say, hey, is there anything to this? Is there anything to the claim that the conspiracy theorists, for instance, have about the flu vaccine and there being a patent issued for the vaccine that they've created and that patent predating the, the uh, illness? In other words, is there a patent in place right now for the flu vaccine that's being produced for this flu and that patent is before we heard about the flu, before anybody had it? Best I can tell, the answer is yes. Best I can tell. I mean, I really didn't want to read the entire patent. But I've seen the patent. Seems to check out from the supporting documentation around it. And you say, well, Jack, doesn't that prove that the nut jobs are right? No, it proves what I said. 
that we got to pay attention to the nut jobs because occasionally they'll lead us to something. Here's what I think happened. I don't think that anybody went out, created a flu, and released it into the wild on purpose, and uh, now puts a vaccine up that's really a poison to kill us. I think it's insane. It seems to me that what might have happened is in this this seal that these people have, and that, you know you can read this on the World Health Organization that that researchers will often create new flu strains and start working on them to try to get faster regulatory approval of vaccines and kind of get ahead of the curve of flu mutation. That somebody may have been doing that, and one way or another it got out, and that and this this virus may very well be the product of a laboratory. That sounds pretty out there, doesn't it? But you tell me how genetically a virus has these three different things. You can't be afraid to look at that and say, hey, and here's the survival mindset, the, the rational survival mindset. It doesn't go, boy, we really need to be afraid of this flu and we need to be afraid of the, the you know, this, this, or killer vaccine or anything else. What it needs to be is, well, if they can screw that up and if they'll cover it up by making money off of vaccines, what else could they let out someday by accident? Boy, I need to be prepared for whatever comes my way. This one doesn't look that bad. Looks like a little wave over the bow of the boat, but there could be a giant tsunami coming next. I need to be prepared. And that's the rational mind state that you stay in. I also get emails from people that say, oh, Jack, I understand you're trying to you know, put out a certain image so that you don't lose a lot of people, but you have to really know the truth about this stuff. You, you, you know too much. You have to know that we're right. No, I don't know that you're right. Okay, I never say something on this show and don't really mean it or think there's more, but I'm not going to tell you. Unless I tell you, like if I'm doing like a cliffhanger, like you'll have to tune in to hear this tomorrow. That, that's one thing. But yeah, I'm not going to sit here and talk about this stuff and then go, well, I really think that the foil hat guys are right and they're trying to kill us all, but I'm not going to tell my audience that. If I believed it, I would tell you. I just think you're nuts. I think that these people have been looking for so long, so hard, and they found so much truth. And they've added so much speculation to the truth, their mind has also taken on a persona that's not normal, that's not real, that no longer pays attention to common sense and rationality. And immediately, if it looks like it might be true, and and they're on the other side of it, it must be true. That's not survival mindset. That's paranoia. Survival mind exists between these two worlds. We're not afraid to live in the world of the so-called normal person, to have many of the things that they do, to be a participant in society on many levels, not all. But we're also not afraid to look at the information that's out there, much of it that comes from these people that I call full hatters. And then say for ourselves, okay... I'm an individual person with a capacity for individual thought. I am an authentic human being, and I will not be dictated to by anybody. I'll take this information, I will disseminate it, and I will use my natural innate intelligence to figure out what makes sense and my best response to it. And that is a survival mindset. The most simple survival plan in the world, okay, planning process in the world, is you sit down, you assess situations and probable threats. You rate the threats based on probability and impact. And then you take the necessary steps to mitigate those threats and to be prepared for those threats. And you do it in a way 
that minimizes the impact on your day-to-day life as much as possible, or steps that not only will mitigate the threat, but actually improve day-to-day life. Nothing goes wrong. Still okay, right? That stuff. Things I've been saying from day one, the founding principle. Everything you do should improve your position in life even if nothing goes wrong. You take that and you apply that to threat mitigation. And then you go on with life and if threats arise, you adapt the plan and when threats become imminent, you exercise the plan and you move on and you continue to adapt. That's the most simple way in the world to describe survival or emergency planning or anything else. Now here's the key. As a human being, you're the only known form of life in our universe. There might be others, but you're the only known form of life in our universe capable of doing that simple thing. No animal, no chimpanzee or monkey or dolphin or whale or shark or any of the creatures, a lion, a tiger, any of these things that we look at and marvel at some of their capabilities. None of them, none of them can do that simple thing. You are the only thing in the world with a true survival mindset. Because the survival of mine is not just, here comes the car, I'll get out of the way. That's just a gateway for some people to find it. The survival mind is the thing that reaches out, that's proactive. It goes forward. It seeks to understand. It analyzes. It adapts. It formulates. And then it acts. And it acts through its body. The mind tells the body, now, go do these things. The body follows. And then it's prepared. And then it's at ease, but alert. That's the survival mindset. In a military formation, there's different commands. One is parade rest. Parade rest is a more comfortable position than attention, but it's basically an alternate form of attention. You're locked, you're forward, you're steady, you're awaiting commands. You're rigid. It requires thought. And then there's at ease, which is a modified form of what's called parade rest. And at ease, you're still a requirement. You stay in a certain position. You stay in formation. But limited discussion is tolerated. All right? But that at ease position is still... Lightning fast response to any command. You can be called to attention from there. You're ready for it. You're prepared for it. You can be moving out or you could be dismissed. You don't know what's coming next. But you're not hypervigilant, but you're ready. You're rested, but you're ready. That's a survival mind. That survival mind stays in a perpetual state at ease. It's ready to come up to attention anytime commanded. It's ready to go into action anytime commanded. But it's not stressed. It's not rigid. It's fluid. It's receptive. And it's proactive. That's a survival mindset that you need to build for yourself. That's the things that you need to be sharing with people that think you're weird. Hey, look, all this is for me is an understanding that everything won't always be perfect. I've looked at the situations in the world and I understand some bad things could happen someday. And if you think about that statement, that, I mean, for all but the ultimate ostrich, the person that they inhale will, will drown themselves with sand grains into their lungs. It's almost impossible to refute. Someday, something bad could happen. 
It's about as nondescript as it gets, but it's, it's reality. It's a driving force. It's the main reason that you're a prepper today, isn't it? You know, hopefully, if you've listened to my show long enough, you're not preparing for one thing. You're not sure that one event will occur, the United States economy will eventually collapse, and that's all you're preparing for. If you prepare for a single event, I promise you, you will not become a prepper for life. You will not become a self-sufficiency person for life. You will not live this as a lifestyle if you prepare for one event. Eventually, your mind seeking normalcy, which you do not have when you're focused on one thing. It's not a normal state of the human mind. The mind will correct itself. It will say, hey, this command system is not performing properly. We are focused on something that appears to not be the threat that we're making it out to be. The entire system is in disarray. I must compensate. This person is, and it's not this way, but this is what's happening. This is like an analogy to understand it. This, this entity is focused on a U.S. economic collapse. Therefore, I must start to grab onto everything that mitigates that and use it as a counterbalance. And that will either work or we're going to go off into lunacy and fixation and uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Obsessiveness. And we will never be homeostatic again. So I have to correct this. When your mind eventually corrects that, you'll look at all the money you've spent. You've looked at all these things that you've done. You've looked at your irrational planning, and you become convinced, hey, the market's on its way back up. I've got to stop this. And you go back to your slumbering lifestyle. That's what happens. So what happened to all the white 2 cares. There was preppers everywhere. We were coming out from, if you kick a rug, and like three preppers came out from underneath it in 1999. But they were all prepping for Y2K. Y2K came, it went, nothing happened. They all went back to their normal lives. And all kinds of stuff got sold cheap. But if you wanted to buy a generator, I'm telling you, March of 2000, that was the time to buy a generator set. They were everywhere. Too bad we didn't have Craigslist in uh, 2000. Because, boy, you could have done some serious shopping on Craigslist in spring of 2000. There's people right now convinced that the, the whole thing's going to blow up in 2012 because of some Mayan calendar. They're prepping for that. 2012 comes and goes. 2013, these people are back to their normal way of life because they're going to feel let down by that obsession. The survival mind is not obsessed with an event. It simply understands the portfolio of risks that are out there. Accepts the fact that we do not control everything. Realizes its normal state is at risk, but at ease, and at a state of ready, and lives there. And that's why people that prep, and people that prepare, and people that are self-sufficient, and people that, that, that acknowledge these threats are generally happier people than the people that, that you know turn a blind eye to everything and have that plastic facade and seem like such wonderful, lovely people, but you know down inside of them they're freaking miserable. You might have used to have been one. Maybe not even that long ago. Maybe this is new to you. But you might have used to have been that miserable person. And I'll tell you what, that misery, that misery comes just like the lunatic fringe. The lunacy of the ostrich comes from, I don't have homeostasis, a state of equilibrium. This is not right. And as long as you lie to yourself, 
As long as you're not authentic with yourself, you are doomed to some level of misery. It is impossible to be non-authentic, to not behave like a human as designed, and be happy. You might look happy. You might try to convince me that you're happy or somebody else that you're happy. You might say, look at all the shiny stuff that I have. You might even be relatively lower, you know, eliminate debt because you have a lot of money. Usually doesn't happen, but it can. A lot of people out there living a debt-free lifestyle, but they're still not honest with themselves about society and life and where they're at. And even after all that work to be debt-free, they're still not really happy. You couldn't be happy in a box. If I built a beautiful box for you, everything you could possibly need, basically a human zoo, games to play, books to read, explorations to go on, a virtual reality machine maybe even, everything you could possibly want, food on demand, entertainment on demand, play on demand, but so this is your box. It's a thousand feet long by a thousand feet wide by twenty feet high. You live in this box. You can never really be happy there. You might get by for a while, but eventually you'll be miserable. Why? The natural state of a human being is not inside a box. Well, does this have to do with survivalism? It has everything to do with survivalism. What I'm trying to talk to you about today is your driving force, the thing that makes you different than everybody else. Most people have convinced themselves that the box, however they've created for for themselves, is happiness. You simply woke up one day, or never went into the box, and realized it's misery. And you decided you weren't going to conform to it, and that you were going to do whatever it took... To have freedom now, or if someone ever tried to take it away from you, or if circumstances ever tried to take it away from you. Do you know why I'm so big on liberty, folks? When we prepare, we prepare mostly to preserve liberty. That sounds like a stretch, Jack. Really? Let me see if I can break it down for you. Okay, you're preparing for a hurricane. And you have evacuation planning, and you have flood planning, and you have all these, you know, food and and uh, energy backup, you know, uh, generator sets, what have you. You're ready for the hurricane. So the hurricane comes. You don't have to evacuate. You're able to stay in your home. Uh, power goes down, but you're able to. Uh, to crank up that generator, keep the air conditioning running, keep the family comfortable. Maybe you have young kids, maybe even like Johnny Max during the one hurricane. you got a baby in the house, and you've got to keep the air conditioner running just for it to be safe for the child. But you do that, and you make your way through it, and you have a chainsaw, and you cut up the trees that fall in your yard, and you do all the things that you would have to do to execute that plan for a hurricane, and you start the rebuilding process as you go on with life. Well, the biggest thing you just did was preserve your liberty. You had the liberty to choose to stay or go. You had the liberty to continue to take care of your family once it happened. You had the liberty to decline help and actually render help. You had the liberty to, to, to behave as close to normal as possible under the circumstances because you were prepared. It was 100%, absolutely, totally about the preservation of your liberty as a husband or a wife, as a father or a son, as a mother or a daughter, as a family or as an individual. It was about liberty for you. You may have never thought about it that way. You may even still struggle with the concept right now because it's so foreign to you. I'm telling you, I've researched this stuff long enough. That's what it comes down to. You want freedom. 
You want freedom to live the way you want to live, and you want as much of that freedom retained under any system that or any thing or any disaster, man-made or, or natural. You want to retain as much of that liberty and freedom as possible. That's why you prepare. That's a survival mindset. I want you to think about that today. I want you to think about that over the weekend. Every time you look at a prep going forward this weekend, just look at something that's in your house that's a prep. I want you to see the connection to liberty. And when you find that connection to liberty, you'll find motivation to keep working, to keep doing more, and to keep making that mind sharper and the plan sharper and the, and the whole program sharper. Because you'll understand how precious your liberty really is. And you'll understand how important liberty is to live in the life you want if times get tough or even if they don't. You can scream and you can holler It really doesn't matter Cause it all gets spent